Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. All right, so we are going to just recap a little bit from last week. We were talking about the chapter found in Isaiah 19. And this chapter was an oracle to the nation of Egypt. It was a statement, it was a proclamation from God to the nation of Egypt because he was looking at who they were, at what they had been doing, and there was a judgment that was coming against them. They had pursued their own abilities, their own ideologies, they had relied on their own economic strength, they had relied on their own military might, and because of this, God was saying, we're going to have to shift some things around here. And so he's speaking to them, telling them what was to come. But when we looked at this oracle, we looked at this chapter and we saw the nation of Egypt, what we also saw is there was a lot of parallels to the United States of America. We saw the places where we as a nation had relied upon our own ability, on our own strength. And we stand here today where tomorrow is July 4th, recognizing the freedom that we have, the independence that we have from Great Britain at the time. We have the ability to stand in freedom, which is an amazing and beautiful thing, and I am so grateful for it. But we want to be also walking in pursuit of the greater freedom that comes from true and total reliance on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's what we're in pursuit of. But we looked and we saw some of these places where we kind of looked like Egypt. Our own economic power, our own military might, our own ways of relying on our own identity and thinking that was good enough. And so God came in and he said, we're going to have to change some things. There's some judgment that's coming. But as we said last week, God can't help himself but to come into the middle of our mess, into the middle of our situations into the places where we have screwed it up or have fallen short and to come in and to bring us an avenue back to him. Back to reconciliation with him. Back to a place of trust in him. And so we saw in verse 18 that things started to shift. It was bad, 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 bad. And then all of a sudden there was going to be a change. And then we see verse 19, which is where we're going to pick it up here this morning. And it says that in that day, There will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord at its border. It will be a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. When they cry out to the Lord because of oppressors, he will send them a savior and a defender and deliver them. In the midst of all the things going on, in the midst of the judgment, on that day, When the people cry out because of their oppressor, he was so faithful to send them a savior and a defender and a deliverer. For us in our lives, when we cry out to the Lord, he has already given us a savior and a defender and a deliverer. He's given us the person of Jesus. But in this verse, it says, when they cry out, then I'm going to send them the savior, the deliverer, the defender. What does that mean? We're talking about prayer. We're talking about our ability to pray and to believe and to ask God on behalf of ourselves, on behalf of our families, on behalf of our communities, to cry out to the Lord, to say, God, we need a savior. We need your strength. We need your ability. We need your provision. And when we cry out to him, he's so faithful. He's so faithful to bring us the answer that we need. 
So in looking at this today, I was thinking about prayer in general. And I asked myself the question, what are some of the things that have driven me to the most effective and passionate and continual prayer in my life? In my life? What have been the things that have been oper- in operation in my life where I have developed such a passion for prayer? Not just the basic prayers, not just the, the everyday prayers, but the prayer that has driven me to my knees to believe and to ask God for more. And so I looked and I saw that there were two main things. The first one is any time that I recognized inside of myself a deep hunger and a desire to know more of God. The times where I was a kid being prayed over at a youth camp and and there was a prophetic word being given. And the response of that was my heart reaching back out to God saying, God, I want to know you more. It was the times in my life where I saw God moving and my heart was moved towards him. And I looked at him and I saw him and said, I need to know you more. Those are my favorite times. Because the other times that I've been driven to prayer have been because I found myself in a situation or a moment in time where it was abundantly clear and evident that I was not in control and I needed his help. Has anyone else ever been there before? I mean, there's the times that are kind of simple where we're driving down the highway and we know that we passed the police officer and we're going way too fast. And we're like, God, I need your grace. I need your mercy right now because I know this is probably not going to end well. There's the points in time in our life where things are just not going the way that we would want them to, where we're a student taking a test and we know we didn't study. And it's like, Lord Jesus, please give me the answers. Give me the mind of Christ right now. I need the mind of Christ to understand geometry because I didn't study for this test. But then there's the moments that are a little bit more serious where there's a sickness, where there's a death, where there's a traumatic incident that takes place. And and we know that the only answer we have in that moment is to go back to the father. There's the moments in our lives where we look around and we see our nation and we see the state that it's in and we are awakened to the need to go to God for prayer because the only way that we're going to see change and transformation in our nation is when we turn to him. It's in those places that we are driven to our knees to seek his face once again. See, God will use any situation. But the end result needs to be us going to him and seeing his hand at work. So those are the things that bring us to prayer. But I also looked at some of the things that drive us away from prayer. The first one for me very clearly was times of comfort. Comfort and convenience are enemies of the gospel. One of my favorite quotes. I didn't come up with it. I forget who did, but it's so true. Comfort. And I'm talking about like actual comfort where we're in our bed and we have found the sweet spot and the pillow feels so good and the blanket's just right and the temperature in the room feels so nice and it's like, I do not want to get out of bed right now because I am so comfortable that thinking about getting up to do anything is a stretch. <laughs> but getting up to pray especially. So I'm just going to pray in my bed. Has anyone ever had that actually work for you? <laughs> I'm going to pray in my bed a little bit. Then you wake up an hour later and you're like, oh, 
I mean, if you're going to fall asleep doing something, it's a good thing to fall asleep doing. But comfort sometimes drives us away from the time of prayer. The second thing that I, I looked at was time. The times where we feel like I just don't have enough of it. I just don't have the time to pray. God, I know you exist outside of time, so you don't understand what it's like to live with 24 hours in a day, and I got to get my eight hours of sleep, and I got to go to work, and I've got to do this, and I got to do that. You don't get it, so, so I, I, I'm going to just get to it when I can. I don't have enough time. And the third thing that often prevents us from praying is when we get so overwhelmed by the situations of life where the things that we're facing seem so big that we can't possibly understand how anything we're going to do is going to bring any change. See, the same things that can drive us to prayer for our nation are also the very same things that can drive us to feel overwhelmed. Like, how are we ever going to see any change? How is there ever going to be any difference? How are we ever going to see things come to fruition and see a change that takes place? But can I tell you that last week when we saw Roe versus Wade being overturned, that it was a result of men and women who continued to pray and to believe for God's purpose on the earth? You see, we can get overwhelmed and feel like there's no use, or we can understand that there's only one place to go in those moments. Back to the Father. Back to His throne. Going to a place of believing and knowing that He's the only one that can bring about the solution that we need to see. There's a quote from E.M. Bounds. And I love this quote. It's from the book called Power Through Prayer. It's a great book. It's really driven towards ministers, but it's great for all of us to read. And he said that praying is spiritual work. And human nature does not like taxing spiritual work. Human nature wants to sail to heaven under a favoring breeze, a full, smooth sea. Prayer is humbling work. It abases intellect and pride. It crucifies vain glory and signs our spiritual bankruptcy. And all of these are hard for flesh and blood to bear. We want it to be easy we want it to feel good, and we want to see the results right away. We don't want to look back at ourselves and realize the places that we need to shift and change and, and focus more on Him. We don't want to look back and see the places where we've missed it. We don't want to see any of these things, the spiritual bankruptcy. We want it just to work. We want it to be easy and feel good, and then we're there. But that's very much not how it often works, in my experience anyway. But it's in this place that there is a decision that we have to see once again. And it's not as simple as the decision to pray or not to pray. You see, to pray or not to pray is a byproduct of two questions that we've been asking lately. What is my identity and who is my source? To pray or not to pray comes out of the place of do I know who I am? Do I know what I've been called to do? And if I do, who is the one that's going to give me the power and the ability to actually see it take place? But if we don't know our identity, 
it becomes very easy to continue to walk through life blissfully unaware and ignorant of what we've been called to do. If we don't know that we've been placed here for a purpose, for a reason, for this time to bring heaven to earth, to reflect Jesus, if we don't know these things, then we are going to bypass our responsibility. But when we know who we are, when we know who God has created us to be, when we know that we're put on this earth to do something, to see things take place, to see the miraculous power of God in operation in our lives, it drives us to a place of prayer because we know the only way we're going to see the results of our prayer is when we see him as our source. Who am I and who is my source? I have to know I've been created for a purpose. John chapter 15 is the main passage of scripture we're going to look at here today. Chapter 15, verse 16 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide or remain. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. If we know who we are, if we know what we've been called to do, if we understand that he is the one that has chosen us, that has appointed us, that has given us an assignment, then we realize that there is a response to what he's called us to do. There is a response for us to see fruit in our lives, to see his hand moving in us. And if we know that this is the case, then we know that we have to walk in a place of obedience and prayer. The next verse I want to look at is John chapter 15, verses 4 through 5. Jesus said, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Who is our source? We, we are called to do some amazing things and to bear fruit, but the only way that we bear fruit is when we are connected to the source, when we are connected to the vine, when we are abiding in him, knowing that he is abiding in us. Abide in me is what he says to do. Abide in me. Because when you abide in me, you start to realize what's actually possible. When you abide in me in the good times and the bad times, in the easy times and the hard times, in the times that make sense and the times that don't, when you abide in me, you step into a different reality. When you abide in me and you realize that he's also abiding in us, we realize that impossibility is just the word. Because we serve the God who created the universe. Our responsibility can really be summed up in these three words. Abide in me. First service, I I said these words a little too quick. And I wanted to make it clear, I wasn't talking about Biden, uh, abiding in me, okay? We didn't stay there for too long. 
We're not abiding in, in our government. We're not abiding in politics. We're not abiding in, in policies and, and all the stuff that we see taking place and all the nonsense being pushed in our world. There's always going to be an option to abide in, in so many different areas. There's always going to be an opportunity. This word abide also means to exist. It means to remain, to wait, to continue, and to endure. But so often, we find ourselves abiding and remaining and waiting in other things, not in the Father. Looking to other places for our resource and our ability and our security. But he said, remain in me. Remain in me. Psalm chapter 91, verse 1. I was reading it on the way in this morning. He, well, the phone was reading it to me on the way in this morning. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Abiding in the shadow of the Almighty. Being covered. Being surrounded by. Being enveloped by the Almighty God. That's what we're going after. Abide in me and I'll abide in you. You see, this is the truth and this is the reality that we can only see and know in prayer. This reality only becomes clear when we step into a place of partnership with the King. When we step into a place of walking in and operating, understanding who He is and what has been made available to us through the cross of Jesus. That's why prayer is so important. So I want to talk about a few things here for a moment about what prayer is and what prayer is not. One thing that prayer is not is it is not a denial of the problem or the circumstance or the situation that we're faced with. We want to pray in faith. We want to speak in faith. We want our words to join together and empowering the word of God instead of our own doubts and fears and concerns and all those other things. But just because we're praying for something doesn't mean that we're denying that it exists. What we're doing is we are inviting the Father into the situation with us. It's important for us to understand because at times I feel like I'm very careful, at least I try to be with what I say. But I don't want to speak to certain things because I don't want to give them power. And there's a lot of truth in that. But it doesn't mean that the thing that I'm facing isn't very real. It doesn't mean the attack isn't very real. It doesn't mean that the deficit or the lack or the sickness is not real. It just means that I have an opportunity to bring the king into the situation with me to see the resource and the healing and the provision that I need. That's what prayer is. It's inviting God into the place with us, walking in his reality. Another thing that prayer is not is a half-hearted, self-composed, mere whisper that we, we, we think about in the recesses of our mind, and we just kind of throw a prayer up. Has anyone ever heard that term before? Just throw a prayer up for me. Like, I'll just casually throw this out there, see if it sticks to anything. Prayer requires intentionality. 
Prayer requires knowing, once again, who we're praying to, what we're asking for, joining together with the Word of God and the Scripture of what He has said, and speaking it as a reality in the midst of whatever we're facing. Prayer cannot be half-hearted. I was talking about in the first service how when we were kids growing up, we had two things that we had to remember. We had to remember how to pray for our food, and we had a specific prayer that we had just developed over time. And then we had, had the way that we answer the phone. So we would say, hello, who's calling, please? And so my sister one time, I'm standing there in the living room with her, or the kitchen, and she answers the phone and she goes, thank you, Jesus, for this food. <laughs> and realizes, uh-oh, that was the wrong one, and throws the phone at me. Thankfully, it was my dad, so it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. But we have these prayers sometimes that we just repeat, and even in our prayer time, just being very vulnerable, there are times where I hear things coming out of my mouth, that I've said many times, and they're good, and they're biblical, and they're truthful, but I'm not engaged with the words that I'm saying because I've just gone into a routine of praying. Prayer is meant to be powerful. Prayer is meant to be a time where we know who we're speaking to. And yes, it is a practice. No, it's not the, the smooth seas that we were talking about in that quote earlier. It requires something of us, and we can build to that point but it requires something of us. The other thing that prayer is not is the pursuit of the quick fix answer to our problem. It's not the pursuit of the solution to the thing that I'm facing so that I can get the answer and then move on quickly to something else. God, will you take care of the situation? Yes, thank you. Okay, on to the next thing. I have found in my life, and maybe you have too, that when I ask those questions sometimes of like, yes or no, left or right, up or down, stay or go, that at times I'm just looking for a quick answer. And it's those times that I have found are the most likely that when I hear an answer, there's going to be a lot of me in that answer. Because what we try to do sometimes is we go to God and we say, what should I do this or this? And we give him this finite ability to answer our question. It's got to be this or this. Like, should I go here? Or should I not go here? Is that the woman that I'm supposed to marry? Yes. This is great. I'm going to go tell her because I don't think she knows. <laughs> I don't think she's aware. She, we've never talked before, but I just saw her from across the room and, and that's the one, right? A lot of heartbreak in the church has come out of those situations. God told me you were the one. He didn't tell me. We don't want to give God a list of finite possibilities and expect him to get inside of our box and say yes or no. God is not interested in our limitations. And what he always wants to do, no matter what the situation is, is to address us and our belief systems, and who we are before he ever even changes the situation. He wants there to be a shift in us before a shift in the situation. God doesn't look through the finite eyes that we have here on earth. He wants to give us more. The story I love, talk about it a few times, it's found in Joshua 5 verses 13 through 14. It says, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his sword drawn. And Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, 
are you for us or are you against us? No. I know you gave me these options, but no. It's not how I work. Doesn't mean God won't ever give us the answer to the yes or no question. I've had plenty of times where I've had to ask for specific direction and God's given it. But God was wanting to show Joshua something bigger at that point. I'm the commander of the armies of the living God. I'm not limited by your battle, by your circumstance, by this situation. I want to do something bigger than you can ever imagine. I want to come into the middle of the situation with you and change the things inside of you that need to be changed. What does God care more about? The situation being solved or his children coming to know him on a deeper level? But so many times we ask for something, it doesn't happen, we get frustrated and we walk away. We get discouraged because we didn't get the answer we were looking for. And maybe God was saying, I want to do something more than just give you a quick fix solution that's going to cause you just to go about your business and to not press in deeper. We have to know that in God, he always has more in mind than we could ever imagine. He's always preparing us for more. He's always wanting to do more inside of us, and he's not going to limit himself based off of our expectations. Going back to prayers sometimes that we pray and we don't see an answer to them right away. I think it's appropriate today. Second Chronicles 7:14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And the church prays this together often and it's a beautiful thing that we are believing for that we are repenting that we are asking for god but sometimes it feels like we all get together in this wave of emotion and we pray the prayer and then when we get done we look around and we didn't get the result we were expecting nothing seems to have changed and then we get discouraged and step away from it he said abide in me remain in me understand that I want to shift things in you before I shift things in the natural. Understand I want to shift things in this nation before I shift things in the natural. Understand that I want to prepare the church and the ecclesia for what I am doing on the earth right now before you see the results of the situation. This applies to every election. This applies to every moment where the Supreme Court's making a decision. It applies to all of it. We want to see God's hand at work in our nation. We want to see the results of his kingdom coming to earth, not the idiocy that we see right now in Washington, D.C. We want to see the truth of the word of God. But sometimes, or always, it requires a shift in us first. The church has to be ready. The church has to be ready. We have to be ready for the people that are meant to come into our doors. And we haven't always been ready. Good hearts, good desires, good intentions. But we haven't always been ready to see the harvest come into the church. We as the church haven't always been willing to go out and to see the harvest in our communities. We need to pray and believe and know and expect that God is going to do something that only he can do. And be willing to have that shift take place in us first. Prayer produces an expectation of provision. 
John chapter 15, verses 7 and 8, once again say this. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified, that you would bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then ask whatever you would wish for. Then ask in accordance with the truth of God and know that he's going to do it. And out of the answers to these prayers, we are going to see him glorified and we're going to be known as his disciples. Abide, abide, abide. Remain in me. The other thing that prayer is, is an invitation to come up higher. Regardless of where we find ourselves and what we're facing, the decision that we make to pray is a response to the invitation to come up higher. When the world and the culture is throwing everything at us, speaking a whole lot of lies, saying that you should go after whatever makes you happy, pursue whatever feels good. That's not a baby, that's just a clump of cells. Even though it has its own unique DNA and thumbprint and call of God on, the, on its life. When we, when we see the world and the culture around us throwing all this stuff at us, I feel like at times where it feels like we're being buried and we just need to come up for air. And what prayer does is it reconnects us back to the atmosphere of heaven to see what he's doing, to hear what he's saying, and to pray in accordance with his will for our lives and for our country. But we have to come up higher. We have to respond to the call to abide in him and to walk in prayer and to walk in a lifestyle where we are continually asking him, God, what are you saying and what are you calling me to do? I want to come up higher. I want to come up higher in what you have called me to do in every area. See, what prayer is, it's the heartfelt pursuit of the presence of the king to see him and to know him and to discover what he is making possible. Prayer is the pursuit of the king to see him and to know him and to know his reality and what he is making possible. What's the situation that you're facing today? What's the thing that's standing in front of you? What's the overwhelming thing that you don't have an answer for? Can we go to him in prayer to seek him and to know him and to seek his reality in the midst of whatever it is that we're facing? Can we pursue him as the only one that has the answer to the problem that we're up against? See, the other thing that prayer is, it's a countermeasure to what we're seeing on the earth. I'll be honest, what it says in my notes is that prayer is the countermeasure to the stupidity of the world. That may seem a little strong, but I think it's accurate. I've looked at social media over the past week, and I probably shouldn't have. And I just saw some of the most ridiculous arguments and commentaries and and fear-driven, emotionally-based things taking place. And I'm like, what is happening in our world? What does our nation believe? What, what do the young people, what are they being taught? 
What is this ideology and agenda that they are being shoved down their throats from grade school up through universities? What is this reality that they're living in? Because it's not the true reality. It's certainly not the reality of the kingdom. What prayer is, it's the countermeasure to the deception of the enemy and the spirit of the Antichrist at work in our nation and in the world right now. It's the ability that we have to respond to what's going on around us and to respond out of not the weapons of our warfare that are carnal, because the Bible tells us they're not carnal, but to recognize that our battle is not with flesh and blood. That our battle is a spiritual one. We have to know that it is the countermeasure to what we're facing. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about how we all at one point were following the prince of the power of the air, being influenced by the spiritual forces of evil. But it goes on to tell us about our authority, the ability to know who we are, where we are, seated with Christ in heavenly places, with the ability to speak to every situation and to bring the kingdom into reality with us. It's a countermeasure to what's going on in this world. A lifestyle of prayer is the very thing that is going to give us as the church the ability to see with clarity the ability to see through his eyes, the ability to walk in his grace, his love, his mercy, his power. But it starts with us knowing who we are, saying yes to the invitation of Jesus to abide in him and to realize that when we do, when we recognize that he's abiding in us, that he makes a way even when there seems to be no way. Anything else is just relying on our own strength and ability. Anything else is just us saying, God, we've got this. We'll figure it out. We'll take it from here. Prayer is, God, I need you. I need you. I need you. I need you. I need to endure. I need to remain. I need to stay in this place of trusting you even when I don't see the answers to the problem that I'm looking at right in front of me, that I will continue to remain and to trust in you no matter what. Prayer cannot be an optional extra. It can't be something that we simply do on occasion. It must be a lifestyle that we're willing to walk in. I want to ask if the worship team would come forward this morning. We're going to have an opportunity to, to pray and to put something into action here this morning as well because the more that we talk about prayer, the more that we talk about what's taking place in our nation, the more we realize and understand that we have to be intentional in what we're doing. And so we want to make an opportunity here to be able to do that. But before we do, I just want to just read two verses that I felt were appropriate here today in talking about this tool that God has given us. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Be anxious about nothing, but in everything, go to Him. He hears us, he knows us, and he gives us the peace that we need. 
The second verse is Jeremiah 33.3. And I love this verse. It says, call to me and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. Call to me. Call to me. Give me the opportunity to reveal things to you that you've never known before. To see things on a higher level that you've ever had access to before. And I will reveal to you great and unsearchable things that you did not know. Can that be the cry of our heart? Can that be the thing that we're after? God, we need your revelation. We need your truth. We need an abundance of you in every area. We want to make room for him in everything that we do.